Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh and so glad that you've tuned in today uh, to hear the good news about the gospel, about some giveaways. Let's see, what's the third one I can use? Uh, Gee, gospel giveaways and, well, I got nothing. I really do. But it's our first Good News Friday of the month of March here in 2024. Remember, yesterday was a leap day, and thanks to everybody who called in. Nice to hear from people who had leap day birthdays or anniversaries to celebrate. Today, we're going to kick off something because I was traveling last week. I wanted to save this conversation for when spring training was finally here and give us a chance to just talk baseball because it's my favorite sport um, to watch, to go to attend. I played it a lot. I played more organized baseball growing up than any other sport, whether it's just you know, uh, three on three over the line or, you know, playing on the asphalt. And the, our, our first uh, neighborhood in Orange County was uh, we, the homes we lived in were at the top, the cul-de-sac was at the top of a hill. And so we had two options. Either you would play where um, the, the manhole cover at the top of the uh, cul-de-sac would be home plate. That was the most natural place to put it. The problem, though, was if you hit it and the fielders weren't very good, uh, then the ball would roll down the hill, it'd roll into another street, and you would pretty much game would be over. So the other way of playing it was we would put uh, the home plate right at a street light that was just in front of our house. We, we were bright as the hill was starting to descend. And make sure you had a couple of guys standing back behind the pitcher, and so that that way the ball had less opportunity to <laughs> find its way down the hill. We eventually wound up uh, playing with an old kind of deflated uh, handball, you know, the, like the big run ones you play on the, with on the, on the, uh, we playing, you know, the four square boxes or whatever when you were in elementary school. And that <laughs> seemed to solve the problem because that ball wouldn't escape us very much. So anyway, uh, John Strakey is going to join me today here on the program. We're going to spend a good portion of time talking about his latest release, it's a book called In the Big Inning, Where Faith Meets Sports, a Christian sports writer's perspective. John's been covering sports for over 40 years. And if you've heard us talk about the Strakey family, you know that John and his wife Marlene are the parents of the adoptive and also biological birth parents of a daughter, Hannah. Hannah was the first snowflake baby. She was the first frozen embryo that was conceived, you know, in, in vitro fertilization. And when the Shreggies found out they weren't able to have children, uh, was it uh, Ryan Bromberger from uh, Radiance Foundation says, when they, when they weren't able to have homemade children, uh, they decided, well, we don't want to necessarily do IVF. It's kind of expensive. When Marlene found about, out about all these uh, snowflakes, these frozen embryos, if you were, well, that uh, had yet to be adopted, she said, well, why can't we adopt one? And we began to realize that what would happen is couples would create these frozen embryos they would implant some, and if they got the number of kids they were looking for, the others would just sit like in this giant freezer. And at the time, there were like maybe 400,000 of them. And so scientists began doing experimental research and getting federal funding. Do you remember what happened in the months leading up to, it was maybe a couple of months before 9-11, September 11, uh, 2001, of course, the big attack on the four different places in the U.S., but George W. Bush took to the national airwaves one weeknight, I think it was a Thursday night, and made an address on his decision as to whether or not he was going to fund embryonic stem cell research. The conventional wisdom at the time was if you take uh, these embryos and extract um, the baby's uh, perfectly formed, haven't been corrupted uh, cells, the embryonic stem cells, 
that they could find all sorts of cures for diseases and things of that nature. A couple of footnotes. Footnote number one, um, they were already using adult stem cells, meaning they took stem cells from real people who were actually alive and uh, having good success with those. The thought was, well, I mean, and I understand the thought. The thought was if you take these from these pure kids, basically, um, you've got a much better chance of finding a cure for cancer because the cells haven't been corrupted. Well, of course, that also brings up the ethical question that the left can't answer is, well, if you're taking embryonic stem cells from these children, doesn't that mean that the fetus is a human being? And so the left had no answer for it. So it was, well, as long as I, it's the way the left answers this question all the time. And I say this with no malice. It's if I want to be a parent, that's a baby. If I don't want to be pregnant, it's fetal tissue and we should eliminate it. Let's, let's make the problem go away, as it were. Even the CDC, at that same time, they were getting, I mean, right around 1998, 99, 2000, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention persuaded the French government to not only make RU486, the French abortion pill, which is what we now call medical abortion here in the U.S., not only make it free or make it royalty-free, but also they reclassified pregnancy to be an illness and RU486 the treatment for the disease. Did you know? I mean, I'm, I'm staring down the, uh, the alleyway here. Another couple of days, daughter Emily is about to give birth, and uh, daughter Kaylee is hot on her heels. I didn't know they were sick. I say somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but the CDC says both of my daughters are sick. And they have an illness, and if they want to cure that illness, they can pop two doses of RU486 that will simultaneously starve the baby first and then second force their bodies to eliminate the baby. Not to be graphic, brothers and sisters, but that's what the world thinks of kids. Well, John and Marlene Stregge are the parents of Hannah, who was a frozen embryo. Her parents chose not to, her biological parents chose not to implant her into mother's womb, and she was kind of sitting around with 400,000 other frozen embryos. The number's up over a million now. If you've gone through, uh, uh, let's see, in vitro fertilization, IVF, you understand that uh, that's the process. And again, I know people have been conceived through IVF, have dear friends who have parented uh, snowflake kids. The Stragies were the first. The reason you can do what you do is because you have to adopt the embryo, and then basically you implant the embryo in the mother's womb, and if the embryo takes and the process continues, then the mother gets the joy of being pregnant and going through that, or maybe the not joy, (laughs) depending on how tough the pregnancy is. But then at the end of the pregnancy, you literally give birth to your adopted child. It's fascinating. Hannah just finished her master's in social work at Baylor University and uh, just a remarkable young woman. Well, John, in addition to that, had a well wonderful career writing locally here at the Orange County Register in the sports section. He and his brother David wrote for many years, and then he went over to Golf Digest, has written seven New York Times bestselling books. And the good news Friday that we have today is that John has finally written the book he's always wanted to write. A couple of years ago, he reached out to me, asked me if I knew anyone who would be interested in you know, helping him agent this thing and get it done, and met with a couple of people, and he finally decided he'd publish it on his own, and that's what he did. The book is called In the Big Inning, Where Faith Meets Sports, A Christian Sports Writer's Perspective. Fascinating stories of people like Tim Tebow, Steph Curry, uh, Houston Astros, well now San Francisco Giants Special Assistant Dusty Baker, the story of the eye black under Tim Tebow, where we went from John 3.16 to, you know, I mean, th- 
these stories are all in here, and John just meticulously curated them so well. Um, we've got a link for the book in the beginning up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we have not one, not two, not three, but not four, but five copies of this book that we're going to give away today. It's kind of an everyone wins Friday here on the Bottom Line Show. Uh, if you're a baseball fan, even if you're not, there are sports of other you know, stripes that are included in this book. John was a very comprehensive writer. And there's something for everyone in this book. Uh, I'll open up the phone lines now since we have five of these books to give away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Got some good news stories to share with you before we get into my conversation with John Streggy. Um, coming up on the other side of this break, a different kind of good news story about a guy who was an editor at the New York Times who wrote a piece for The Atlantic, and this is a guy, he was an opinion writer, who wrote a piece or wanted to write a piece about something that he had discovered at a Christian restaurant. Now, you know, there are two big prominent Christian restaurants in the country. One's In-N-Out Burger, the other is Chick-fil-A. If you're writing for the New York Times, you're not going to In-N-Out Burger. They're only in six different states. But this is a piece that he didn't necessarily want to write. It was just a comment he made once he left uh, writing for, he'd been writing for a, a conservative publication, and then he switched over to the uh, New York Times. And while he was there, he had the audacity to make the following statement. You know, I tried the spicy chicken sandwich at Chick-fil-A. He was getting ready to write a piece. You know, everybody was doing hit pieces on Chick-fil-A at one point. He said, I tried a spicy chicken sandwich at Chick-fil-A, and quite frankly, um, I kind of liked it. What? You kind of, no, you, not at the New York Times you didn't. Oh, no. No one at the New York Times is eating Chick-fil-A and liking it and then admitting it out loud. Well, um, he worked for the, uh, the guy's name is Adam Rubenstein. He worked for the uh, uh, Weekly Standard before he joined the New York Times. Not uncommon for them to poach from conservative uh, publications. But basically, he was talking about how this was a new higher orientation mode where he experienced this, and the left denounced him. I mean, literally ran him out of town. Are you kidding? Um, it, it's just, it's incredible to think. I want to share this story because the good news of the story is now the truth of the story is coming out. Everybody else said, okay, that thing that happened with you at Chick-fil-A and all the backlash you got at the New York Times, that never happened. You're lying about this. But now the story has been corroborated. And just as we were talking about yesterday with Pastor Jack Hibbs saying that there would be a war on facts and a war on truth, well, this is a good illustration about a guy who isn't even necessarily a Christian who just had the audacity to say, look, I know you guys don't like Chick-fil-A, but I had their spicy chicken sandwich and it's pretty darn good and pretty much got run out of the newsroom at the New York Times. We'll tell you this story coming up next as the bottom line continues. Dennis Wilson at Wilson Financial specializes in opportunities for you to save money in retirement. And the way you save money in retirement is by paying the least amount of tax possible. Of course, you want to pay the legal amount, your fair share. But if you don't have to pay more than your fair share, why should you? Call 800-696-9970 and find out how Dennis Wilson can set you up in accounts that will help you maximize your return and minimize your tax exposure. Right now, for example, he's got a special 19% account available to bottom line show listeners who are in traditional IRAs 
IRAs or 401ks and want to make the transfer to the Roth. The reason you've been holding out, I'm sure, is because of the fact that you do have to pay the tax up front and you have to pay a penalty for taking money out of that 401k or IRA uh, right now. Well, guess what? What if I told you that Dennis's 19% account can virtually eliminate any of those penalties because of a 19% bonus that you'll get in your account in year one and year two and year three? Well, don't just take my word for it. Call Dennis and have him explain it. He can do a much better job of explaining it to you than I can. 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial today. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. Roger Marsh here, and we're taking a look at a story that doesn't necessarily fall into the good news category all the time. Um, you never like to see somebody forced out of a job. Uh, don't like to see somebody who has been, you know, kind of raked over the coals, if you will. Um, and, and, and this is even not necessarily a story of a person of faith. But it involves a company that has been in uh, kind of in hot water with the totalitarian left for years with regard to the faith practices of their business, and that would be Chick-fil-A. And a guy who was writing at, working at the New York Times, his name is Adam Rubenstein. And he had been working for the Weekly Standard, then the New York Times hired him. This is back in uh, uh, 2019, 2020. And during his orientation as an editor at the New York Times in 2019, he had an encounter with the HR department over his stating that he actually liked Chick-fil-A food. Now, I know that, <laughs> that sounds crazy, but this is where the left is. I mean, and, and as we, you know, this is kind of a praise report for a guy who stood up for a company whose values we would support for the most part. Uh, I say for the most part because I've been very open and very candid about the fact that I'm not thrilled with the idea. I mean, Chick-fil-A has great food. People like the food. They like the service. They like the fact that they're not open on Sundays. You know, that Dan Cathy, the uh, son of President Truett Cathy, the guy who founded Chick-fil-A, has been very outspoken about the fact that he said, hey, look on our board of directors. This was a decade ago. You know, we're we're all guys who are married to our first wives. I mean, we just, you know, this is is how we do our, our thing. But it's interesting to me how in the in the course of over the course of human events, um, the Chick-fil-A board has kind of tried to cater to people outside of, you know, where they would typically land as far as faith values. They have a Chick-fil-A foundation that doesn't it handles, you know, a lot of companies do this. They have a there's the business and then there's a nonprofit foundation and the nonprofit is the one that does philanthropy. In all honesty, Chick-fil-A's philanthropy group is the one that was attacked by the left so much they were the ones who were sponsoring those uh weekend to remember marriage getaway treats and were sponsoring fellowship of christian athletes and stuff like that and over the course of time dan kathy rather quietly has uh, kept chick-fil-a's values you know at the forefront in terms of you know being a christian organization but the foundation has gone really hard left as far as i'm concerned they stopped funding the Salvation Army's ex- efforts to uh, help uh, homeless and transgender people and things like that. And now they're supporting some really crazy rainbow coalition. They, 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 if, I think they were trying to appease people on both sides of the aisle. And the reality is, if, if a lot of Christians knew what the Chick-fil-A Foundation does, they wouldn't support Chick-fil-A the business. I don't eat there as often as a result. I just, just shoot, shoot straight. I mean, be who you're going to be. But in the case of Adam Rubenstein, he gives us an opportunity. He's now been exonerated here, but he gives us an opportunity to take a look at what even leftists will do to their own. 
You know, Adam Rubenstein had been a writer at the Weekly Standard, which is more of a center-right-leaning publication. He got hired by the New York Times ostensibly because they wanted to have somebody who provided a certain measure of balance. And by the time 2020 rolled around, he wound up losing his job because they wanted him to edit an opinion piece, an op-ed written by Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton during the height of the race riots, the uh, George Floyd et al. uh, that was happening in America. And uh, he suggested that using military National Guard or whatever to keep some semblance of order was appropriate. And the New York Times didn't want him to do that. Now, when you welcome an opinion piece by somebody, that means you say, here's somebody on the left, here's somebody on the right, here's somebody on the middle. And we're publishing these so you, the reader, can look at them and make your own good judgment. But the left edits their stuff notoriously. Anybody that has an out-conflicting view, if they would put it, uh, that's dangerous, uh, needs to be squashed. And so within a year of him being hired by the New York Times, Adam Rubenstein wound up being fired, and so did Barry Weiss and a whole number of uh, rather left, I mean, well, they're more liberal uh, mindset, you know, more, more likely to vote Democrat and that type of thing. But even they were like, hey, wait a minute, you're, you're silencing free speech here. And, and this piece that was written, it just was published in The Atlantic. Adam Rubenstein has finally come clean with what happened in August of 2019 when he started working for the New York Times. They were at a simple orientation of new uh, staff members. And while they were there, um, during the orientation for new hires, he actually said, hey, you know, the other day, I know it sounds kind of crazy because we're not really big fans of Chick-fil-A, but I actually had one of their sandwiches. I had a, uh, a spicy chicken deluxe, and I liked it. It was actually very good. Well, the staffers were all upset. They got really mad at him for saying that. And then the director of HR who was there said, oh, no, 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 no. We don't eat that here. Uh, They hate gay people. And then it looked like one of those comedy sketches where they show people who, have you ever seen one of those things where where the people are in a a room and somebody is, you know, they're all spouting off their totalitarian progressive mantras and then somebody else comes in with like a Bible verse or something like that and they all start snapping to kind of quiet them down. Everyone started doing that in the room and he said, I I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't actually um, (laughs) lived it myself. But here I am. I said, no, no, wait, wait, wait. I'm not talking about their politics. I'm just, I'm saying I like the chicken. But at that point, the die was pretty much cast. And so he, um, he, he worked there through 2020. He eventually resigned. He wasn't forced out or fired. He just resigned because he said, it's incredible. And on social media, a lot of New York Times supporters uh, Hannah Nicole Jones, the 1619 Project person, saying, oh, no, that, that never happened. Didn't happen. Uh, Michael Hobbs, another journalist, wrote, is anyone going to contact The Atlantic and ask them about the process behind publishing this egregiously fake anecdote? Um, but it's amazing. A lot of people on the left just said this was entirely made up. Now, think about this for a moment. Have you ever been in a situation where, I mean, I understand the corporate culture. You know, we go to a place where everybody likes In-N-Out Burger and you like Shake Shack. So you go to work there and you start talking about, well, you know, I think the Shake Shack burgers are pretty good. And just between you and me, 
while I was in Nashville at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, uh, when I was getting on the plane, flying back home from Nashville, there was a Shake Shack there, and I actually had lunch at Shake Shack. Hadn't had a Shake Shack burger in a long time. It was pretty good. It was real. It was better than In and Out. I know, I know. Now you're going to come after me. I mean, the burger itself, the meat, it was just, it was so good. In and Out's good. But what's interesting about this this piece here, though, is that there are a lot of conservatives, a lot of Christian people who are finding themselves working in secular work environments, for example, and they're wondering, hey, am I going to get canceled too? This is ridiculous. I mean, this is going on five years ago. Well, what's interesting, um, but a lot of folks started stepping up and saying, hey, wait a minute, um, this is in fact true. Uh, journalist Jesse Sing- Single posted on X that if Hannah Jones's theory would be true, it would need to be the case that Rubenstein not only lied about the non-existent event at the time, but somehow convinced other New York Times employees that it happened or to lie for him. So either way, it's quite the conspiracy. Well, now that the journal, journalist story has been told, The Atlantic has put the piece up. We'll put it up at thebottomlineshow.com. You can read it for yourselves. I guess the good news story in this is that we're finally seeing some kind of exoneration for this guy five years after all this went down. And maybe, just maybe, this will kind of pull the cover back on the kind of censorship that's been happening in the culture right now. I mean, it's not nearly Stalin-esque or Hitler-esque or, you know, whatever, but I know a lot of people of the Christian faith especially have felt like, hey, why is it that I can't speak my mind, speak my heart, about my deeply and sincerely held religious beliefs. This poor guy just said, I like the Chick-fil-A spicy chicken sandwich, and he wound up losing his job at the New York Times for it. Well, we'll find out who exactly exonerated him coming up next as the bottom line continues. Personal injury attorney Stephanie Cover of Cover Law will fight for justice on your behalf. She has to fight because no insurance company will willingly pay what you've lost after an accident. When you're in an accident, you take legal action simply to be restored to where you were prior to your injuries. Money may be needed for medical treatment, financial restitution for lost time at work, or any other thing that you've lost as a direct result of the injury. Stephanie's desire is for justice, to find what was taken from you due to your injury and have it restored for you. Stephanie will become your advocate, passionately helping you make sure that your doctor's appointments are productive, The insurance companies are being honest, and she'll make those calls that you don't have time for. Go with Kay Bright's trusted personal injury attorney who will help make you whole again. Stephanie Cover at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R and get back to your life. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, and I have to do a little fact check here. I mentioned uh, in the last uh, segment that Adam Rubenstein, the former editor at the Weekly Standard who became an op-ed writer at the New York Times, uh, started there in 2020, and um, uh, he wound up eventually leaving the newspaper because he was uh, he was forced to. Uh, uh, they wanted him to edit an editorial piece by Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton, who suggested using the military to stop some of the rioting that summer, and he didn't want to edit it, and so he wound up leaving the New York Post. John Levine, who's now at New York Post, and uh, Barry Weiss, who used to write for the New York Times, who was uh, at the there at the time as well. A bunch of those staffers all left as a result of that uh, that incident. Um, the Rubenstein uh, incident on his orientation actually started in 2019. So I put that out there. But by 2020, he actually had to uh, leave. Basically, in, a, in his new employee orientation, 
with all the other new hires there, he had the audacity to suggest that he liked eating the Chick-fil-A spicy chicken sandwich because it tasted good. To which the head of HR said, oh, no, 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 no. That, 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 nope, that, that doesn't happen. Uh, she said, we don't do that here. They hate gay people. And then everyone started doing that whole snapping thing, you know, where they claim it. Uh, he said, wait, I, would, um, I, I hadn't thought about the fact that they were transgressive, but at least in, as far as liberals concerned. And I said, well, not the politics. I mean, the chicken. But, well, it was too late by that time. And I was ashamed. I sat down like, I'm never going to open my mouth again. The story went viral. And, of course, everybody from the New York Times contributors or whatever ran to try to defend the gray lady, right? Uh, but the Atlantic ran their own fact check, and they said, here's the deal. They confirmed the story. They, the, he ran this piece in The Atlantic telling this is what my experience at The New York Times was like. And The Atlantic says the entire piece was fact-checked. That's our standard policy. In reference to the opening paragraphs, the details were in fact confirmed by New York Times employees who had contemporaneous knowledge of the incident in question. Journalist Jesse Single posted on X that for Hannah to, uh, Jones' theory, to be true, it would need to be the case that Rubenstein not only lied about a non-existent event at the time, but somehow it convinced other New York Times employees that it happened or to lie for him. Now, that's quite a conspiracy. Rubenstein said, well, of course the story is true. <laughs> Several other journalists then went on X and said, hey, we heard about this from him back in 2019. And that was those people who left, uh, Barry Weiss, etc. Um it's, it's interesting because then Hannah Jones posted on X, uh, just show the fact check document. Well, the reality is, though, that this is the world that we're living in. Something we talked about yesterday with Pastor Jack Hibbs. He said, of course, the church would be under attack, but Christians are going to have to do battle for facts, for the truth. And this is just one case that I don't know where Adam Rubenstein is on the faith. Can you mind some of the people who backed him up aren't necessarily Christians. But he had the audacity to say he liked the Chick-fil-A spicy chicken sandwich. And New York Times reporters said, well, they're, 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 they hate gay people, so you can't like that. This is how the left thinks. And this is why it's important for Christians to be involved in the culture, be engaged in the conversation, and literally have a seat at the table. I'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. I think it's good news that this story came out because it gives us a lot of food for thought, pun intended, I guess. On the other side of this break, spring training is in full effect now. Shohei Otani hit a home run in his Dodger debut a couple days ago. And boy, it's going to be a great season for everybody but the Angels. Uh, John Strage has written a sports book called In the Big Inning where faith meets sports, a Christian sports writer's perspective that I think would make great reading for a men's group or a ladies group or any kind of Bible study if you like sports, not just baseball, but there are a lot of baseball stories in it. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and not one, not two, not three, not four, but five copies of this book we're giving away today. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to The Bottom Line. John Strege joins me next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, a special guest joining me today here on The Bottom Line Show, if you're listening on Terrestrial Radio, if you're listening on the podcast, or if you're watching on My Hope Now, the very dapper John Strakey is with me from his office in Colorado. And John, you're keeping warm, I trust. I mean, I know the temperatures have been ferociously cold there, but uh, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. How are you and Marlene and Hannah fighting off the cold? Uh, we're doing great. Uh, it finally is warming up, so it's going to be probably 40 degrees, 45 tomorrow. So Love that. I'm on the snow melt. Yeah, that's, that sounds good. Now, you left California willingly for Colorado. What was what were you thinking there? Yeah, we've been coming to Colorado Springs for so many years, going back to even before Hannah was born. 
um, when I was covering golf tournaments uh, for Golf Digest up at Castle Pines, just north of uh, Colorado Springs, Hannah comes and then just meeting with Dr. Dobson about, you know, our, our whole snowflake story. We ended up coming to Colorado Springs just about every year and we fell in love with the area. So, mm -hmm. and, you know, California isn't doing so well these days. So, <laughs> so all is good. On our National Crawford Roundtable podcast recently, Neil Boron's in Buffalo. And uh, with the Bottom Line Show, of course, being hosted in California, we, we were talking about the Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford trade that didn't seem to make any sense to Rams fans at the time. And uh, Bob Duco proposed that we actually trade Neil Boron to uh, California for me and to Buffalo. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I told I told him I have veto privilege. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, that, that trade's never going to happen. But I'm glad that you guys uh, have that great home in Colorado Springs. I am holding up a copy, and we're we're gonna have to reverse the screen here because we're I guess we're just getting used to seeing this uh backwards. But in the big inning is the brand new book by John Strakey, where faith meets sports, a Christian sports writer's perspective. And John, I know this is we hear this a lot from artists and athletes. This is a book you always wanted to write. But you and I've talked about this for a couple of years, and I was so thrilled to see this copy show up in my mailbox when it did. Um, this congratulations, loved every page of this book, and I uh, just it, thank you it, so much. It, it wins on so many different levels, the different types of sports. Give, give our for our listeners who are just tuning in and don't know the John Strage sports story. Can you give us a sixty second version of how you went from this? This goes to high school for you. You're a competitive athlete, but you always like to tell the story of uh, of sports as well yeah mediocre athlete <laughs> <laughs> hey you made your varsity team in high school i did not okay so there you go <laughs> uh, yes I, I got into sports writing uh, well first of all i'm blessed i had two christian parents uh, my dad was a huge sports fan and i inherited that from him my mom was an english major required that we read didn't care what we read mm -hmm. and i read everything sports so sure. i had that background and then got into in high school working for the school paper and while in high school heard of a job at the Whittier Daily News, Whittier, mm. California, it's a very mm -hmm. small newspaper, um, six days a week and just be, as a high school stringer and answering phones, giving out high school scores and then uh, uh, graduated from high school, started college and heard of a similar position at the LA Times and fortunately I was hired to do it. Um, ended up working all through college at the times four or five days a week. Uh, Starting out just covering high schools, but segueing into a lot of small college sports and any sports the regular writers didn't want to do. Right. Then when uh, they uh, they did not have a full time opening for me, so I ended up get, accepting a job at the Orange County Register. And so this would have been 1978 and immediately got the Dodger beat. That was probably in and over my head. Mm -hmm. at I was so new to it, but started on the Dodgers in 1978, mid-season. Did the Dodgers three years, went over to the Angels, did the Angels three years, um, got engaged. So I wanted off baseball. It's mm -hmm. not a good beat uh, for a marriage because you know, travel so much. Right. And, Started doing all kinds of sports, including golf. And then I was fortunate Tiger Woods grew up in our circulation era, area. Mm -hmm. So started covering him when he's probably 13 or 14. And um, 
all the way through his amateur career and ended up doing a best-selling book on him. And then in 1997, I was hired by Golf Digest, and I've been there ever since. Uh, re retired in 2020, but I still help him out almost every week on something. Just yeah, well, especially, I was going to say keep your hand in, especially if they give you a chance to go to Palm Springs and cover the LPGA or something. You're on a plane. Uh, yeah, I don't do that so much of that anymore, So, which is okay because I did an awful lot of traveling. In, I'll bet. In my I'll bet. I'll bet a lot of people, we were having this conversation on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast recently about cults in America and how politics has kind of become a cult or the environment has, you know, where you just have this undying devotion. Sports used to be a place where people could have a devotion to a sport or an athlete, a team, something like that. And we saw it as healthy. And more and more, it seems like, John, I'd love to get your take on this. It seems like people are developing kind of an unhealthy addiction or attraction to the sports that they follow to the point, you know, with the uh, gambling that happens with the uh, fantasy leagues and this, that, and the other thing. And you have seen sport at its purest form where it really is inspiring, where it does motivate us. And you've met some right. quality people that uh, talk, talk about the balance. I mean, there's still athletes who are playing the game for the right reasons and doing it the right way. Uh, yeah. You know, I think it's more on the, the social media is added to the, the issue you're talking about, you know, and the gambling, you can gamble, I think in every state now, as far mm -hmm. as I know, without leaving your living room or your den, uh, which is not necessarily healthy, but now you've got, you know, on the social media side, you get Twitter or X as it's called now, where people sound off, the language is terrible. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's just not, I don't enjoy it too much, let's put yeah. it that way, yeah. you know, yeah. but yeah, a lot of the athletes are, you know, the game's changed, money has changed it dramatically, but it's still, there's some quality people in sports, fortunately, mm -hmm. CJ Stroud being one of the Texas yeah. quarterback you'd mentioned earlier. But let's talk about that because CJ is, is featured in the book in the beginning where faith meets sports, a Christian sports writer's perspective. You have a whole chapter on what you call the uh, soundbite sermon, the the idea that uh, that there are athletes who can can share their faith and do so in a very positive way. And CJ is probably the latest example of a guy who is in prominence. His team's doing very very well. And uh, and when people come to him, I mean, I, I, I we were talking before we started our conversation here on air about the been censored by many media outlets i love the fact that so now he's wearing you know just t-shirts at press conferences that have a picture of jesus on them or or something like that talk about what you see in cj stroud that gives you hope as a sports writer. yeah and, and i call it soundbite wit witnessing because it's it's for christian athletes nowadays there's so, so many platforms to do this and and cj is a natural at it um you know after winning that game let the playoff game last weekend nbc is interviewing him on national television. And first thing he says is, I'd like to praise my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. First thing out of his mouth. Amen. And that's going you know, around the world. People are hearing that. And, and I think it's terrific. It's, you know, it emboldens other people you know, to do the same thing and not be afraid to express your faith. But uh, on that same point, so NBC puts it out on their social media sites, but they cut it out that first sentence. Mm. About it. Praise my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and again, why? You know, why do they do that? Yeah, yeah. Well, they're afraid they're going to offend somebody, but they're choosing the wrong audience to offend. I mean, when you get right down to it, I think Jim Caviezel recently, when he was talking about the movie The Sound of Freedom, and said, "Hey, why is it that so many Christians are more concerned with offending the world than offending God?" 
we know that there are people who are right. lost in the in the media who are you know they're they're gonna they think it's offensive to bring up the name of Jesus even people who profess allegedly find it offensive to bring up his name but a guy like C.J. Stroud doesn't matter uh, doesn't mind rather uh, I'm talking with right. John Stragi today here on the bottom line his book is called In the Beginning where faith meets sports a Christian sports writer's perspective it's this is an inspiring uh, group of stories and collection of stories that John has firsthand that he tells in his own inimitable writing style, which is just, it's second to none. We're gonna take a break and when we come back, um, I wanna get into a story that you may know, you may think you know, but you may, uh, John gives you a lot more perspective. I'm talking about Tim Tebow and the Tebowing, but the before that happened, something that he did that was just a simple adjustment to his uniform that actually sent the internet on fire. We're gonna get into that coming up next as the bottom line continues. John Strage is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, and as we were sharing in the opening segment, John doesn't realize that uh, when you were writing for the uh, Whittier Daily News, and did you ever write for the East Whittier Review as well? Because my grandmother got both of those papers, and I dreamed at one point, four- and five-year-old Roger Marsh growing up in, in Whittier, by right there by Michigan Park, I wanted to be a Whittier Daily News paper boy. And how cool would it have been to th been throwing papers with John Strage's work inside of it? That would and then there was the Orange County Register, and you came to the Register in what 82? 1978. Oh, 78 for the Register. It was the Dodger beat in 78. Yeah, I was in high school then. But we just kind of kept following each other around from Whittier to Orange County, and you know, and then into the Lutheran Church as I made my uh, you know uh, my debut into that back in the early 1990s. Uh, John's new book is called In the Big Inning. I'm going to hold it up here for our My Hope Now viewers. Uh, you can watch this whole thing on video. In the Big Inning, a sports writer where faith meets sports, a Christian sports writer's perspective. Before the break, I mentioned you know, there's a lot of baseball stuff in here because you were a beat writer for a number of years. Um, and in the beginning, of course, is a, one of our favorite uh, Lutheran church jokes about how God loves baseball more than any other sport. Um, before the break, though, I mentioned Tim Tebow. And I know a lot of people think of Tim Tebow when he played professionally, when he play, took a knee, you know, in the, and then got crucified by the people in the uh, in the NFL. But prior to that, Tim did something else as, as John, and you chronicle this in the book. Help us understand the story of uh, why do athletes even wear eye black other than the fact that it looks cool? I mean, does it really serve any purpose, that stuff they, the cork they wear <laughs> under their eyes? Do you know? You know, I think I mentioned that in the book that I'm not convinced that the eye black <laughs> actually helps. But yeah, um, to your point about Tebow and the story, we're, I, I know where you're going with it. So I'll just pick it up from there. But it was there. The, he, he started doing putting a Bible verse on on his eye black in college at the University of Miami. And I think the first time he did it, he had Phil on one eye, Philippians, and then the Bible verse on the other side. And for the national championship game, when they got to, actually Florida, I said Miami, but it was University of Florida, gets to the national championship game, he wants to change it. His, uh, his coach, said why are you going to change it now you know let's you we've got this far you know with the same verse and he just felt called to do it and he put john 316 hmm. for the national championship game and afterwards it was revealed 94 million people googled john 316 oh my goodness oh my goodness yeah 94 million people tebow's first response was, I can't believe 94 million people hadn't heard of John 316. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But just a simple act like that, you know, because they had a huge television audience, but 
94 million people. Incredible. I mean, astonishing. Yeah. Well, I and mean, that had to impact. I don't know how many people it impacted, but it had to impact a lot of them. Yeah. Well, for them to take the time to actively search it out, John Strage, you're right. And I think that this is one of the things that you write about in the book in the beginning is the idea that athletes do have this influence on the culture still, that people will look to them because their favorite sport is like in the case of Tim Tebow or or baseball in the case of take your pick. There are lots of uh, uh, Christian baseball players. And I, I one of the things that I was not familiar with this terminology um, but you were talking about the milkshake drinkers, you know, back in the day. And, you know, the, the guys like Billy Martin are like, I don't want those guys. I mean, they're they're kind of namby-pamby. But you you chronicle the story of several uh, former baseball players in the book in the beginning uh, who had a strong faith. And maybe it wasn't as uh, open uh, as in the public eye as it was. But behind the scenes, th there was a, a lot of importance placed on the guys who were the teetotalers, if you will, as opposed to the hard carousers. Give us a couple of examples of that, if you would. Well, it was the New York Yankees. They're great dynasty teams in the uh, 50s and 60s. Tony Kubek played shortstop. Bobby Richardson played second. They were called the Milkshake Twins because <laughs> they, I mean, they were teetotalers. They were strong Christians. And um, within that, you know, they go to even on the road, they'd find a church to go to mm -hmm. uh, before games. And they always invited Mickey Mantle to go with them. Mickey Mantle was not a teetotaler. No. Uh, His liver would be happy to tell you he was not a teetotaler. Yes. That's for sure. Um, and but the story I bring up in the book, Bobby Richardson, I actually got a Richardson on the phone. I think he's probably 87 years old now. Mm -hmm. And he was great. He told me that. Um, I asked him, he kept working on Mantle until Mantle's death and actually converted Mantle, brought him to Christ before wow. he died. And so I asked Bobby, you know, why did you work so hard on doing that? He says, because I wanted to spend eternity in heaven with my friend. And I'm going, mm. what a great, I mean, I, I just love that. So, but yeah, the talking about milkshake twins and, you know, back then, these all Casey Stengel is one of them. The managers would prefer the guys who were out late drinking rather than, you know, those who didn't drink. He, they thought he thought mm -hmm. they were better and produced more, but I think that was a myth. Well, yeah, you know, and you think about the the Kubek example. I mean, for my generation, because he, his playing days were done by the time I really started paying attention to the NBC game of the week and things like that, and praying that my beloved California Angels would show up, but they never did because. <laughs> No one cared about Anaheim in the 1970s. Or maybe it was that they were trying to block out Gene Autry. I don't know. But my first memories of Tony Kubek were not as a player, but as a broadcaster. And Kurt Gowdy right. and Tony Kubek calling those Saturday games of the week, you know, it was he had a huge influence on me. And so to read about his faith, I didn't know about that. I mean, and I'm I'm grateful, John, that you that you presented that in such a way because I, I know that, that that's one of the things that you'll find. There are many it, even if you are the most ardent sports fan, you're going to love this book because John knows so much with his 40 plus years in this, uh, in this industry, whether it be football, baseball. And yeah, and you're a very astute uh, student of the game, John, even from your uh, nestled in the frozen tundra of Colorado now. I mean, in terms of, you know, with the Internet and everything, you you use it a lot more effectively. Um, I know that you have a special place in your heart for the time that you got to know Dusty Baker when he was a player with the Dodgers. And you were on the Dodgers beat. I mean, it's, it's funny because I, I, I always think of John Strage's edition of the Dodgers. They were a World Series contender every year. 
And the two extremes that you dealt with in the clubhouse were Dusty Baker and that guy that everybody loves in public, but behind the scenes, um, you know, Tommy Lasorda wasn't the easiest guy to get along with. Can you no. juxtap- can you can you tell us that first of all, let us know. I mean, I know a lot of Southern Californians. Tommy is on a shrine. You know, I mean, he he was great for baseball. He's an entertainer in front of the camera. Behind the scenes, though, you were writing about what was happening with the Dodgers and sports writers have to, a different cross to bear, don't they? When they're trying to tell the truth about a team. Yes. You know, we're not there to publicize the, the team, but I, I I did not get along with Tommy Lasorda from the start, and I was partly responsible. I don't want to get into all of that now, but I was partly responsible. But he, he, you know, in my defense, he'd like to try to bully the younger writers so that they'd kind of fall in place, and I didn't fall in place. And sweet clashed. But I also noted in the book, you know, I don't think he missed a, he was raised in the Catholic Church, went to Catholic school. I think he went to try to go to mass on the road, wherever they were, you know, every weekend on the road. And I'd like to think that he's in heaven now. I mean, I think that would be great. Mm -hmm. Uh, Conversely, I got along with Dusty Baker. Great. You know, anybody who doesn't get along with Dusty, it speaks more of them than it does. (laughs) One of the finest people I've dealt with um, in 40 plus years as a sports writer, Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, I wasn't sure I was wanted to do this book. I'm going, should I do it or not? I've been thinking about it for a long time. And after the uh, 2021 World Series, about a month later, the, the Astros lost that World Series, and then they won the next year. But I said, I'm going to call Dusty. I knew he was a Christian, had a, still had a phone number for him, left a message, got back to me, texted me back immediately and said, I'll call you next week. I spent 40 minutes on the phone with him talking about his faith and his how prayer has been the biggest, such a big part of every major decision he's had to make. And it was fascinating stuff. And I'm going, I, I got to do something with this. So it convinced me to go ahead and do mm-hmm. the book. Wow. That, that's encouraging. What What is something about Dusty Baker that people wouldn't know? I mean, I, I have to admit, I liked him when he played for the Dodgers, when he became the manager of the Giants. Then I didn't like him because the Giants were playing my Angels in the World Series and made me happier than for the Angels to win. I thought, well, and I always kind of associated him there. And that's my own, uh, that's my, like you said, that says more about me than it does about him. But what, I mean, you've seen this guy succeed. And, you know, quite frankly, when the Astros went through what they went through with the scandal and the trash cans and all that type of stuff, when they announced they were bringing Dusty in, I thought, who, who better for the job than this guy? And t- talk about what that said about his character, that he could st- steady the ship there and then still bring out the championship caliber of play in that team. Yeah, he was he he was probably the best guy anyone could have chosen for a situation like that, uh, because everybody respects him. When I say everybody, it's, you know, opposing players, opposing managers. I mean, it's almost impossible not to respect him. So he's the perfect. The guy, he wasn't, and again, he relied on prayer to make the decision whether he should take that job because that was a brutal job. As he said, he's never encountered more negativity in his life um, Mm -hmm. since from taking that job and all the abuse and players brought it on themselves or the franchise did with cheating. He was the right guy to do it at the right time. And he also said, 
Ed, and I've got that in the book, that he's had a, felt he's had a greater influence on young people than he ever had in his life. So it was, God led him to this job, I think. And, mm-hmm. and he did a great job, won a world championship. Yeah, it's, it's good to hear that. John Strake is with me today here on The Bottom Line. I want to camp out on that for a little bit longer on the other side of this break. His brand new book, holding it up here on camera for our My Hope Now listeners or viewers, I'll put it on this side so you can get a better shot of the title. In the Big Inning by John Strake, where faith meets sports, a Christian sports writer's perspective. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, more of this conversation with John Strake about this outstanding new book about sports and faith and the intersection between the two. It's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, this is a great book. It's very inspiring, very powerful. John Strake, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, and the book is called In the Big Inning. Uh, where faith and sports intersect, or where faith beats sports, a Christian sports writer's perspective. We have not one, not two, but three copies, no, not four, but five copies of the book that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, more of this conversation in just a moment as the bottom line continues. I can't say enough about Preborn, and I'm going to keep talking about them because I love what this organization stands for. Basically, what they stand for is the truth, the truth and the science, the truth and the science and being honest about the situation that a woman is facing when she is facing an unplanned pregnancy. Did you know this is a problem within the church? 60% of the women who have abortions in the United States do so after already having given birth at least once. 54% of the women who have abortions in the United States are church-going women if not Bible-believing, born-again Christians. So what does that say? It tells me that we in the church need to do a better job of educating people as to what's really going on when a woman tests positive for pregnancy, as they say. Go to a pre-born clinic, they'll do the pregnancy test, then they will do an ultrasound. And the ultrasound technology will show you the pictures of the child in the womb, and then they'll tell you the three options, not the two that the abortion clinics. Abortion clinics say, either you're gonna be a parent that's gonna be expensive and ruin your life, just have an abortion. The third option is adoption, and Preborn recommends adoption every single time a woman comes in with an unplanned pregnancy. 85% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and have the ultrasound choose life for their baby. You can help in this effort. Make your one-time donation to Preborn today. Go to kbrightradio.com and click on the Preborn banner. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. and so glad you're here because it's great when we have a Good News Friday that has giveaways. And today here on the program, we're talking to award-winning author and uh, sports writer, uh, John Stregge, who's covered baseball, football, basketball, uh, spent many years on the golf beat, as it were. Uh, his brand new book is called In the Big Inning. If you're a baseball fan, you get that. You remember the old joke, you know. We talk about how God's favorite sport is baseball. Why? Because the Bible begins in Genesis 1-1 in the beginning. Instead of in the beginning. Anyway, where faith beats sports, a Christian sports writer's perspective. The book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. There are lots of great baseball stories in there too, but also Steph Curry, first place for the Warriors in the NBA, Tim Tebow. Uh, the list goes on. Not one, not two, not three, not four, but five copies of this book we're giving away today just because good for you. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And uh, we've got more of this conversation on the other side of this break. You know, sports has the ability to bring people together. We saw that in the Super Bowl that happened just a couple weeks ago. It was the largest, most watched television event in American history. 123 million people watched it 
worldwide on a variety of different platforms. And it's amazing how many people would watch the game and took it in from all different levels of whatever they were taking in. But at the end of the day, the great thing about sports is it gives us a chance to watch people compete in the case of the Super Bowl or the World Series at the highest level of competition for their their sport. But it also gives us a chance to figure out what we're made of. You know, John Wooden used to say that poise was the definition of who your character really was under pressure. And quite frankly, the beautiful thing about sports is you do learn things about yourself. Even if you're not super athletic, you learn things about yourself in that pressure cooker situation where you begin to realize, hey, wait a minute, you know, if I don't get it done, what's going to happen? We've got to keep the other team from scoring or we've got to score to win the game or, you know, there's something that happens. Sometimes it's an individual sport like golf or running or something of that nature, tennis. Um, Other times it's a team sport, but I think God uses athletics in our lives to strengthen our faith and to shape our character. When I think about the Apostle Paul, who used boxing metaphors, he used weightlifting metaphors, he used running metaphors, you know, run the race, I kept the faith, you know, he says to Timothy. These are, even in Philippians chapter 3, when he talks about straining toward the prize, the, the image is of a runner who is leaning in toward the finish line and is so focused on it, he kind of blocks out everything else and has his eyes squinted to the point where all he can see is that goal. I pray that God would use sports in your world, whether you're in spectator mode now like a lot of us are, or participant mode, to see your faith strengthened for the kingdom. That is the good news, and that's the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. And Rabbi Schneider coming up next with Discovering the Jewish Jesus. For those who remain on the network, the conclusion of my conversation with sports writer John Stregge about his brand new book called In the Big Inning. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues. John Strage is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Can't hold this book up high enough or clear enough. In the Big Inning, written by John Strage, where faith meets sports, a Christian sports writer's perspective. John, with more than 40 years' experience covering football, baseball, golf, beat writer for the Angels and Dodgers for Southern California listeners, uh, two books on Tiger Woods. And it's not every day that I get a New York Times bestselling author just hanging out with us here on the Bottom Line Show. But, uh, John, you've had that distinction a couple of times. Uh, talk about your work with Tiger uh, real quickly, because I know that uh, for many people, he's been a man of mystery, especially with some of the personal issues that he's been through. But, oh, by the way, how many green jackets does he have? I mean, the, it, his his accomplishments in the world of uh, of sports are, are breathtaking. I'm not trying to paint him in the Christian space per se, but as you've covered him, talk about the influence that he has had on the culture. You know, the fact that the guy can hit a golf ball like nobody else can and done what he did. And that really does kind of bring people into this alliance with him. It's, uh, you know, there's an argument who is the greatest golfer golfer of all time. And Jack Nicholas's name usually comes up, but Tiger's got to be in conversation. Uh, nobody has dominated like Tiger Woods has in golf. Uh, and even, you know, all the scandals that he's kind of gone through, um, he came out unfazed. I think he's a better person now for it. And he's revered even more than he was, uh, you know, before the scandals. It's But you know, he's he's been great for the game. He's brought a lot of people to the game. Um his talent, I can't admire it enough. I mean, yeah. it's unbelievable. We've never seen anything like it, including Nicholas. And I think Nicholas will probably agree. 
You know, it's interesting when you talk you know, about, oh, go ahead. I was fortunate to, uh, I was going to say, I was fortunate enough to be there at the beginning. I started covering Tiger when he's probably 14. Um, and you know, got to know his parents real well because 14 year olds don't have a lot to say. So I started working more on the parents, got to know them real well. Uh, Coltita's mother, they had us over, my wife and I over for dinner once. I played golf with Earl, his dad, quite a few times, played golf with Tiger. So I saw that whole development, you know, up close uh, and it was remarkable. And then I wrote a book that came out a week after he won the 1997 Masters by 12 shots. And I'm going, mm. I think this is a God thing. This was, the timing was very good for me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the God thing because I'm sure there are some people who would say, well, I wonder if, you know, and, and not to put this all on you, John Strage, but the fact that you're a man of faith, have been a deeply committed Christian your whole life, and we're influencing the Woods family in terms of, you know, like you said, hanging out. And I'm sure you were you playing for quarters with Tiger, you know, and you know, tee shots and putts and things like that. Or, I mean, I, I've, I've heard from several people that there's a good way to make a few extra bucks if you're playing golf with somebody who knows how to hustle. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but in terms of the influence that you had and the way Tiger's going, there are a lot of people who are going to look at some of the people in that you profile in your book in the beginning, whether it's Dusty Baker, C.J. Stroud, Tim Tebow, and they're going to ask the question, OK, well, they have this Christian influence. Do you think that it was genuine because weren't they just wasn't Tim Tebow using all that stuff to win a national championship or a Heisman Trophy or even to get into the Super Bowl? Um, and we, it, it's a kind of a de delicate balance, isn't it? You've seen enough athletes who will say, I just want to thank God, and you don't really know if they mean it or not. And, and other guys who live that out, and they absolutely mean it. But in the case of like Tim Tebow, his professional football career was marked by nothing but hardship and heartache, you know, after winning a Heisman Trophy. Uh, what's your take on the age-old question? Does God really care who wins the game, who wins the trophy? It's such a good question. And so I've got a chapter on that. And the reason I did is, well, first of all, I think God doesn't care who wins a game. You know, I actually asked some, a lot of pastors what their thoughts were, and they agree with me. But they also say, well, God could use what happened in the game. Uh, but yeah. whether he actually cares who wins, I pointed out, well, first of all, I pointed out there's so many scoundrels in sports that excelled. Uh, you know, Mike Tyson spent a couple of years in jail for rape, came back to win, you know, heavyweight championship. Uh, all the stuff Tiger has gone through. Uh, I mean, there's a litany of great, great athletes who were scoundrels, mm -hmm. you know, out of the arena. Um, but the subject keeps coming up in sports. It's you know, Sports Illustrated had the exact same headline uh, prior to Super Bowls, about 10 years apart, does God care who, who wins, you know, the Super Bowl? And so it, that the subject fascinated me. But everybody I talked to, no, he doesn't really care. He got better things to worry about. But, uh, you know, it was, I found the subject interesting. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that because I've seen so many times people of all different walks of life go through a season of what looks like adversity. And I think, okay, well, Joseph was in prison for how long before he was elevated to the position where God had him in store? And, and not that God wanted him in jail per se, but God was moving him toward where he was supposed to be. Right. And, I, and so how often do you see, who was it, was it Scott Norwood? Uh, he used to kick for the Bills. 
Um, yeah. And it, you know, you miss the field goal, lose the Super Bowl, and next thing you know, you know, you would think. I mean, this, this day and age with social media, people would have run him out of town. But he had a tremendous Christian testimony, and I remember meeting Jim Kelly about a decade ago, and you know, I thinking, okay, I don't want to ruffle this guy's feathers. I know Jim just recently was baptized, but I know he's been living as a Christian basically for the past decade. And we met in 2012 at a convention in Orlando, him and his wife and his two daughters. And, and we, I asked him about the bills and he said, man, and he pulled out the rings he had and he had all four of the runner up rings with him. And then he said, I would go to battle with these guys again in a heartbeat. And I, I just, I, I don't know why I asked him this, but I said, but you lost. You know, he lost four times in a row. He says, no, we went to four Super Bowls. He goes, it didn't always work out that way. He said, but those guys are the finest men I ever worked with. And, you know, I, and I thought, oh, my gosh, it gave me a whole different perspective. And, John, you're nodding in agreement here that oftentimes the one who doesn't hoist the championship trophy uh, winds up getting more of the, you know, more jewels in the crown of life, if you will. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And. Uh, I didn't know that about Jim Kelly. I mean, I knew he, you know, those four Super Bowls that they lost, which was unfortunate. But, I mean, that's a great story. And him, you know, getting baptized recently. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I got nothing to add to that. You said it so well. <laughs> well, John Strage's book is something that I highly recommend. It's called In the Beginning, uh, where faith meets sports, a Christian sports writer's perspective. It's up at the bottom line show com and i encourage this is one of those ones that there is someone i say hey hang around and call in and we're going to give away a copy for uh, for for someone to win but uh, this is one i want you to buy and i want you to take it to church and use it as a bible study or use it guys use it in a men's group um ladies i'm sure will appreciate that too my mom and my grandma were huge baseball fans my grandmother would have loved this book uh especially because she'd say oh that's that young fellow he used to write for the east whittier or no the whittier daily news that she'd recognize yeah. her name. she was big on bylines john how you're obviously these are stories you wanted to share and you mentioned that dusty baker was very instrumental in uh, kind of being that you know that push point okay I, I talked to dusty this is a great story i have to write this book how are you envisioning people using it? Maybe more uh, specifically, what kind of feedback? Book's been out for about a month or so right now. What kind of feedback are you getting from people who are reading this and having the same reaction I did, which is I've never read a book like this. It's phenomenal. The feedback has been great. And one of the takeaways, I think, people reading it, share it with your kids. You know, if you've got Christian kids, I mean, when I was a kid, I probably never talked about my faith. Uh, probably, you know, I shouldn't say that when I was going to Lutheran grade schools, that was not an issue, but I get to the public high school, you know, probably never mentioned it out of fear of, you know, rejectioners. These athletes are setting a great example of, no, express your faith. It's, it's fine. This is what the Lord would like you to do too. And there's so many good examples in the book about doing that, including the soundbite witnessing, just you know, thank your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, first thing after a game. But I think mm -hmm. there's great lessons in it for kids. One of the stories that you tell, and I, I, we talked about this on the bottom line, but I think you've got a closer knowledge of this as well, uh, is regarding uh, a woman who played in the LPGA uh, seven months pregnant. 
And uh, I, I yeah. love, yeah, share that story with us because you've got a little bit of inside info that I didn't get. I think I read about it in Life News where they just said, hey, look, she's out there and she's playing. And, you know, here's this big, you know, controversy over Roe versus Wade. And she's out there going, what? I, I can still do this while I'm pregnant. To, to share that story if you would. Yeah, and she's a, a great Christian, uh, you know, great Christian witness. I mean, she would tweet about her faith all the time. Um, there's a story, I didn't include it in my book, but I have a friend, Steve Eubanks, works for the LPJ, and he was working for another publication at the time. Wrote about her in advance of the U.S. Women's Open, going to be playing in the Women's Open seven months pregnant. And in the story, he had a bunch of quotes from her about her faith. And this publication would not run it unless Steve took those quotes out of the story about her faith. Mm. And he wouldn't mm. do it. And right. uh, resigning from that position, he says, no. So I'm just reporting what she said, and you're going to try to edit the Christianity out of it. But she's a great, uh, great Christian witness and had the baby and expect her back in the LPGA. I love to see that, and probably, it's it, probably soon. Yeah, it's encouraging when you see women, especially who are standing up for their faith, standing up for the sanctity of life, and it kind of puts the sports world on notice. Because I think of you know ESPN's really tried to elevate women's sports over the past couple of years, especially, and they'll make yes. a big deal out of Caitlin Clark, you know, and her NIL money and this, that, and the other thing. But there was a story involving was it the Oklahoma State women's softball team, and you write about this in the book in the beginning that yeah, I love. Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oklahoma yeah. uh, the, the Sooner women who uh, were championship caliber. And the videos went viral. And I thought, boy, this is probably making the PC police just sweat in their boots because they made no bones about why they believe they were successful. Not that God is saying, yes, you're going to win the national championship, but rather to see them come together and it worked for them. Tell that story, if you would, because some of our listeners may not be familiar. Yeah, with the and video. I, I won't get the numbers right, but they were going for their third consecutive uh, national championship in women's softball, University of Oklahoma women. And they had a winning streak of like 61 games. Now, So it's a news conference before the start of the uh, women's college world series and it was an espn reporter asked they, they had three other players there they didn't know they were going to be asked this she says the question was something along the lines where do you get your joy from you know when you got so much pressure to try you know win another national championship you know continue the winning streak you know there's a lot of pressure on you you know where's the joy in it for you and all three of these express their Christian faith. And so our joy comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from whatever happens on, on the softball field. All three of them. Mm. I mean, it's astonishing. And, and I've got their testimonies in the book. Um, and it, just that chapter alone is worth reading. Yes. For what these three players said. That, and, you know, I think. And, uh, and it, was, it actually went viral on, on, the internet. So, I mean, again, and they didn't know this question was mm. coming. And they were, it was just it, it is brilliant when it's so spontaneous because you you begin to realize that there are some people who will give a testimony, air quotes, um, that's rather calculated. I'm talking to this crowd, so I need to. We've all been in those press conferences before where yeah. it's like, I'm at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, so I better mention my faith. 
And then you get the Shannon Breams of the world or, you know, who are just, it's a part of who they are. It's, it's what they yes. do. And to see these young women responding in a press conference, knowing it was going to go viral, knowing that, that ESPN was covering all of this and the Disney, uh, you know, behemoth that's behind that really is not friendly to Christian values. And they didn't care. They're just like, Hey, this is, this is where we are. This is our faith and values. I'm glad you captured that in this book in the beginning. It's one of many stories that you'll read from John Strage that he, as he's covered over the past 40 years, uh, golf, baseball, softball, uh, you name it. Uh, John has been a, a beat writer. He's been a, uh, a clubhouse rat, if you will, <laughs> getting in, getting behind the scenes, yeah. gives you, gives you the behind the scenes story of why these faith stories are, are so important. And we're talking firsthand accounts too, you know, actually having been in the locker room, I've been on the phone, the Bobby Richardson story, I think is worth the price of admission. Same with Dusty Baker, Tim Tebow in the background behind the eye black. I mean, there's so many different stories, John, I'm sure that it was difficult for you to edit out the ones that, uh, you know, would this one make the cut Would this one not, does that mean there might be in the bigger inning? Uh, somewhere down you the know, road on this one. <laughs> there, there is there is so much more, and you see more and more of it every day. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you could write it in several volumes, but yeah, I think yeah. I'll just I'll rest on whatever laurels I have on this. Okay, one. okay. Well, highly recommend it. We've got a link for where you can purchase this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. John Stragi, thank you for the book. Thank you for the time. Uh, thanks for being with us today here on the Bottom Line. God bless you and uh, Marlene and Hannah. What a great family you guys are. Thank you so much, Roger. It's always great talking to you. Oh, what a great conversation. And John, thanks so much for this book. I thoroughly enjoyed, I uh, was making a trip to Texas not too long ago and uh, on the plane there and back. Um, it was just great to uh, do that John Wayne to George Bush shuttle uh, with, uh, with your book in hand and uh, just really benefited from it. Again, the book In the Big Inning, Where Faith Beats Sports, A Christian Sports Writer's Perspective by John Strakey, New York Times bestselling author and former columnist for Golf Digest and also the Orange County Register right here in SoCal. We have not one, not two, not three, not four, but five copies of this book we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. I will take a quick break and when we come back, I want to talk about um, something that I think is important. It's one of the stories that John shares in the book in the beginning, but it's a good news story that I think will help us kind of frame where we are in this culture of deception that we live in right now. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Have you heard about the new 19% IRA account from Dennis Wilson at Wilson Financial Services? You really owe it to yourself to find out more about it. Call 800-696-9970 today to learn more. Here's basically how it works. If you've got a traditional IRA or 401k, you know what happens. You make a deposit into it every month with your paycheck and you get a little bit of savings on your taxes now. And the gamble is that when you retire and start taking money out of that account, you'll be in a lower tax bracket. The reality is that's not going to happen. You're going to be in the same tax bracket, if not a higher one, once you retire. A Roth IRA is a much better way to go. But if you take money out of the traditional and put it into a Roth, you're going to have to pay a penalty. You're going to lose your investment, right? Well, Dennis Wilson has a special 19% account 
right now that will help you eliminate any of those crossover fees. It's actually a much better way to move from taxable income in retirement to non-taxable income in retirement. But you got to act now. This is only available for a limited time. Call 800-696-9970 and ask Dennis Wilson about the special 19% Roth IRA account that's available to bottom line listeners for a limited time. 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. My thanks again to award-winning sports writer John Strakey for joining me today here on The Bottom Line. His book, In the Big Inning, Where Faith Beats Sports, A Christian Sports Writer's Perspective, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Nothing but five-star reviews, and we've got not one, not two, not three, not four, but five copies of this book we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, the Strakey family... Are really remarkable. I mean, I loved reading John's columns for years before I heard about the story with his wife Marlene and their daughter Hannah and the whole issue of in vitro fertilization, the freezing of embryos, and the work that they did to make a way for people who are looking to adopt the embryos either to, uh, you know, implant in the womb and grow these children or to, uh, you know, not go that way at all, but to just make sure that these embryos are you know, properly cared for. And you know, there are a lot of people who say, boy, in vitro fertilization, I don't get it. You know, why would anyone do that? And I'll be honest with you, I don't either. I've been blessed. I mean, as a dad, I'm father of three, uh, my wife, Lisa, mother of three as well. We have six kids together in our blended family. Uh, daughter Taylor has two kids. Uh, daughter Emily has one and one almost here. And daughter Kaylee has another. And son Kevin is the uh, uh, proud papa of a teenager. Who, boom, boom, you need to look out. But <laughs> so as our brood expands, God has allowed our kids to, you know, have kids and, uh, and not have to face the IVF uh, dilemma. But I love that what the Strage family has done with regard to that issue, because they looked at these frozen embryos and said, okay, these are people, you know, eggs been fertilized by sperm. That's a baby. What are we going to do with this baby sanctity of human life? And to established, even to the coin the phrase snowflake, and to see Hannah, the first snowflake baby, that happened in our lifetime, I mean, within the last 25 years. And what a wonderful young lady she is. Her godparents, Dr. James Dobson and his wife Shirley, are so thrilled that she is here. But it was a battle, and it took a certain tenacity to fight the legal battle to basically establish law, case law, for adoption of frozen embryos that no one had ever thought of doing before. It was all new territory. And they didn't look at this and say, how are we going to get through? This was a Red Sea moment for them. And they said, we believe God's going to part the sea. And he did. The connection that I'm seeing here is that this is where our faith really comes alive. And God uses and is using the most interesting ways for us to stand up for our faith and tell the truth. Like Adam Rubenstein writing from the Weekly Standard, goes to work with the New York Times in his orientation, says, oh, by the way, you know, they were talking about whatever they were talking about. And he mentions he likes Chick-fil-A spicy chicken sandwiches. And the HR director says, we don't do that here. They hate gay people. And the group think, click, 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 you know, we, we can't let you do that. We can't have that conversation here because, oh, that's not, that, that's just not right. And I, it's amazing how, I don't know if he was a man of faith, but I would hope that that would strengthen what faith he had. But the way that we can bulk up in our faith, if you will, I think is to take a look at every aspect of life 
and see what happens when the detractors come for us. And one of the stories that uh, John Strage highlights in his book, In the Beginning, involves a guy named Tim Tebow. On the other side of this break, I want to talk about the Tim Tebow example that we've seen and how the biggest success that Tim has experienced in his professional athletic career really had nothing to do with his performance on the field or on the baseball diamond, but in the court of public opinion. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. One of the things I appreciate, and I know you do too, about preborn is the fact that they tell you the truth about where you are in pregnancy. You know, it, 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 it's amazing how the National Institute of Health and the CDC wants to classify pregnancy as a quote-unquote illness, so then they can prescribe quote-unquote treatment medication in the form of an abortion pill to end the abortion. Well, that's crazy. We know, you know and I know, that God creates each of us in the womb of our mothers, and he creates each of us uniquely for a purpose. And 85% of the women who go to preborn clinics and they don't hear the, the propaganda from the abortion industry that says you, your two choices are either abortion or misery, that there are three options. And the third one involves basically choosing life for the child and releasing that child for adoption. I want to thank a couple of people for their very generous donations to Preborn. Dean in National City made a $1,400 donation. Dave in Lake Forest, a $500 donation. Uh, and also Edward in Norfolk, Nebraska, who listens online with a 48 monthly dollar donation. Uh, go to kbrightradio.com. Click on the preborn banner and make your best donation today. It's completely tax deductible. 100% of your donation goes to ultrasound technology, and we're saving lives and saving babies through preborn. Click on kbrightradio.com, hit the preborn banner today. My thanks again to John Stregge for joining me today here on The Bottom Line and for being so generous with his time. The outstanding new book, In the Big Inning, Where Faith Beats Sports, A Christian Sports Writer's Perspective, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Last call if you want to get in on the drawing for not one, not two, not three, not four, but five copies that we have of this book, In the Big Inning. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, there's a story in the book, In the Beginning, about Tim Tebow and the eye black that he wore uh, when he played college football, knowing that there were people who were watching him and paying attention to him. And the fact that he put John 3.16 on the, uh, it's, it's burnt cork, I think is what it's made out of. And baseball players have used it for years, football players too. Apparently it's supposed to reflect light so that it's kind of like wearing sunglasses when you can't wear sunglasses, right? Well, now players do it because some guys just make full-blown crosses on their cheeks. You know, it's really cool to see whether it be football players or baseball players. Looks a little messy, but uh, it, it gets the point across. But Tim was one of the first to actually write a Bible verse on his eye black. And the fact that he did that back in the, in the day, as they say, led to millions of people going online, going on Google to search, what does John 3.16 mean? Remember that guy with the big rainbow wig who used to go to sporting events and he'd walk around just holding the sign that said John 3.16? I truly commend Tim Tebow and the rainbow wig guy for doing that. But here's how the culture has changed. Even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, a guy like Tim Tebow pulls an action like that and people go to the website and they want to know what he's talking about. Today, I wonder how many people, if you did something like that, would even care? 
How many people, because we have gone from Christian America to post-Christian America to anti-Christian America, how many people would see John 3.16 and get the same response Adam Rubenstein got at the New York Times? You can't mention Chick-fil-A. They hate gay people. We don't do that here. We have to be prepared for more. I think there's a part of us that really wants to believe that not only is it going to be somewhat easy, someone just has to make the movie, somebody has to do the publicity stunt. If we could get that, if we could, if that'll happen, then boom, God's going to be glorified. We're going to make Jesus famous. And, you know, well, or maybe, maybe not. I mean, if you look at the life of Jesus, the man, the poor carpenter from Nazareth, who never traveled more than 200 miles from his own home, he had an influence on people, but for a lot of folks, it was all negative. The disciples were in hiding. I mean, the church was planted literally in first century Rome where they were all an anathema to the government. We've had a pretty good run here in the United States of living out our faith. But something tells me the more that we move off the baseball field, off the football gridiron, out of the basketball courts and out of the arenas and into the living rooms with that, my wife calls it third hand, your smartphone, how many more people are willing to bet on games than actually play them? Now, I'm not suggesting if you're not terribly athletic and you don't even like sports that you shouldn't participate. But hear me out when I say this. The Christian life is a battle. And one of the best, most civilized, organized places to learn how to battle with other people is on the athletic field. It's on the basketball court. It's on the gridiron. It's on the ice hockey rink. It's engaging in competition. Maybe it's bowling, maybe it's tennis, whatever the sport is. But may I encourage you to watch sports differently, not so much from the did my team win or did the other team lose, but rather what is God doing to glorify himself through this event, through the testimony of this athlete, Tim Tebow, Steph Curry, take your pick, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Brock Purdy. What is God doing to glorify himself and how can I uphold what God wants upheld? rather than, isn't it cool my team won the big game? Competition has a purpose, but it's more than just wins and losses. It's more than just getting the statistics to get you to the Hall of Fame. Let's use these athletic competitions to glorify the Lord and to bring people closer to Him so that when we start off in that big inning, we'll be in heaven rejoicing with the Lord. And yeah, I think there's going to be baseball there too. That's good news, and that's the bottom line.